Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Barry, and I'm one of the team here. I'm the campus pastor at uh, Taramara, Northside Taramara. And thanks, Leo, for that excellent reading. Really well read, very clear, and we understood it. Uh, it's good to be here, and um, my first time preaching in this little room. I hope you survive. I hope I survive. I've got to preach three times today and I uh, haven't done that for a long time. Uh, but look, whether you've been engaged for the church, uh, with the church for years or whether this is your first time here uh, in a church service or whether you've been uh, coming along just for a few years, we're really glad you're here and glad that you can experience uh, a people gathering together to worship. I remember my first memory of being in church was when I was about four years old. It was a little country church in the Mary Valley near Gympie in southeast Queensland. And my mum and dad took me along with the rest of the family. And I was only a little tack, about four years old. And it was a little building uh, made of timber, wooden floors, hard pews, preacher thumping away, preaching away. And I had an earache. And when you're a four-year-old boy with an earache, you remember where you were. You remember what's happening. You, you remember everything and you remember you just can't wait to get out of there. And I hope that for you today, you don't feel like you've got an earache or a headache and you just can't wait to get out. I hope it's a good, good for you and a good experience. But I do remember that memory of church and it really did for a while put me off wanting to be at church. But somehow God's done a miracle in my life, and now been a pastor for 24 years, helping little four-year-old kids get an earache <laughs> and a headache. And no, no, not really. But look, one of the things about the church, it, it, the church, as we look at this brand new series on God's promises today, uh, the thing about the church, it's the only organisation in the world that exists for the people who aren't yet in the room. It's the only uh, organisation that exists for those who, that primarily exists for those who aren't here yet. I love that. I love the fact that it's, the church is not about looking at our navel. It's about looking out and up at those that need him and looking to God rather than our navel. You know, as a child growing up, I learned many of the promises of God. There's lots of promises in the Bible that God has for us, promises that we can cling to. Like when you're going through a tough time, that promise from God where he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And that means a lot when we're going through a tough time. I remember the promise that Andrew's been preaching on over these last three weeks where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. And that's a promise from Jesus to say, if you want to get to the Father, you go through me. And I am the way, Jesus said. And there's another promise that I remember learning as a, as a little tacker, and some of you will remember this or know this verse. And if you're not normally going to church or you heard this, this is, this is really what the Christian message is in a nutshell. It's, it's a Bible verse called John Chapter 3, 16. It's a, you know, a guy called John writes it out. Chapter 3, verse 16, it says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. A promise. The promise is if we put our faith in Jesus, we have life eternal. You know, the problem with many people today is they live for the dot. The dot is like this. You get a pen and put a dot on a piece of paper. That's the dot. But there's a line that goes on from that dot. And that's eternity. And we spend our lives worrying in the dot and and, and, and stressing about the dot when really life is about eternity. But enough of that. Let's have a look at this promise from Jesus in Matthew 16 that was just read to us by Leo. Jesus said this when he asked uh, the guys, the disciples that he was hanging out with. What about you? He said, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus replied and said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because this, Jonah, because this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. It was revealed by my father in heaven. In other words, God woke him up to who Jesus is. And isn't that the, 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 the prayer that we pray, that, that God would wake people up to who Jesus is? And then Jesus goes on and says, um, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You know, what is the rock? It's the rock of that statement that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the son of the living God. That means that he is the hope of the world. And if there's one thing our world needs today, and that's hope. But the world finds, tries to find hope and crafts on all sorts of different things. But Jesus is a living hope, and he is the hope of the world. But he says, I'll build my church. What is the church? Is the church these four walls that we're in today? Well, no, it isn't. When Jesus uses this word in the Greek, it's the word ecclesia. And that word means it is a gathering of people in a locality. The church is people who have faith in Jesus, who love Jesus, who have surrendered their life to Jesus, people who follow Jesus. And so the promise of Jesus that we're looking at today is this promise, I will build my church. Jesus has been building and growing his church for the last 2,000 years. He's been growing and building his church for 2,000 years. But what about you? If you were to describe church to people down in Oxley Lane or in the street where you live or in the place where you work, would you, would you be able to describe the different facets of the church? You know, there's a couple of ways of describing church. Church is people who love Jesus, and that's the very simple definition of church. But there's other ways you can describe church, and we're going to have a look at some of, the, some of them today. But before we do, I'd like you to have a look at this video and see how milk is described. A bottle of milk, thanks. Low fat, no fat, full cream, high calcium, high protein, soy, light skim, omega-3, high calcium with vitamin D and folate or extra dollop. Uh, uh, I just want milk that tastes like real milk. This tastes like full cream milk and only 2% fat. Paul's smarter white milk. Smart choice. You know, with milk, you can describe it in so many different ways. 
And the church is a lot like that too. You can get really, really complex or you can just go down to it's being really, really simple. And uh, today, um, you know, I don't know if that guy would have gone back to that shop to buy milk anymore. I'm not sure. Uh, Anyway, it was only an ad. But uh, anyway, Jesus is building his church. And, And today what I want us to look at is I want us to have a look at three facets of the church. But before we do... I uh, just want to tell you about my daughter. I've got a daughter. She's 10. Her name's Sandina. And Sandina has been studying in year four up on the Sunshine Coast, learning about the Industrial Revolution and about early settlement, the early settlement of Australia by, by white people. And so she's been learning about that. And I don't know if you realise this, but in the late 1700s, when Europeans first came to Australia and they came to Sydney, Uh, One of the things that they did is they discovered um, lots of different plants, lots of different animals, and one of the times they discovered this animal and they wrote back to the people in England and they wrote back a letter that said this, uh, Dear England, or whatever, um, (laughs) I want to tell you about this creature. It's a strange creature that has no teeth. It has a furry body and a beaver-like tail. It has a flat bill, webbed feet like a duck. It has a reproductive system that involves the young being hatched from eggs and yet they suckle milk from their mums. This creature lives in water. It stores worms and grubs and snails uh, in its cheek pouches just like a squirrel does. Well, when they wrote this letter, the naturalists and the scientists back in England were going, what? What, is, what are they talking about? Have they lost their marbles down in that place down, down south? And what had actually happened is they had discovered, of course, the platypus. And the platypus, this wonderful, uniquely Australian animal, is an amazing creature that has so many different parts to it that don't seem to work together in the natural world. People would think it just doesn't work, but it does work. So many different features. And the platypus is real. It's not a fake. It's actually a real animal. And uh, this platypus is both an organism and it's also an organisation. What would the platypus be without a skeleton? It'd just be a blob. What would you be without a skeleton? Don't say spineless creep. (laughs) Don't say that. But what would you be without a skeleton? You'd just be a blob. And the fact of the matter is that just as the platypus needs a skeletal system and a muscular system, and we also have a skeletal system and muscular and nervous and all sorts of different systems in our body, we are an organism, but we are also a very complex organisation as people. And Jesus' church is also an organism and an organisation. His church throughout the world is a lot like a platypus. Lots of different features that don't seem to go together and yet you put them together and somehow it works. The church is built on a confession of faith. Those who have faith in Jesus, that he is the Christ, that he is the son of the living God. It's interesting when you look at some of the New Testament descriptions of church. Uh, The New Testament has lots of descriptions for church. There's things like the church is the family of God. The church is the body of Christ. 
The church is described as a living temple. The people in it are described as living stones. That means you can never say you're a fossil. The church is described in so many different ways. And, uh, and it's also described as the bride of Christ. These are very intimate, precious uh, words and, and they're descriptive words of both the organism and the organisation of the church. It's also described as the flock of God. And when Jesus' followers gathered 2,000 years ago, uh, it was in the very early days of the church, they had to make some decisions. You know, Jesus had died, he'd risen again, he'd gone back to the Father, and the church was made up of these disciples and new followers of Jesus, and all of a sudden they had to make decisions. So they made decisions about who was going to look after the daily distribution of food for the poor. They made decisions about how the worship services would run. Uh, they'd, they'd make services that had order with singing and prayer and communion and preaching. Read First Corinthians and it tells you about they needed to get order in their services. Planning went into how offerings were collected. And planning went into how to give birth to new churches. It's all recorded for us in the Bible. And uh, what, I, what I want to look at before we look at these three aspects, why did Jesus promise to build his church? Why did he promise to build his church? You see, the fact of the matter is people have been uh, opposed to and have persecuted the church since the time the church started. For 2,000 years, Jesus has been building his church and for 2,000 years, there has been persecution and opposition against the church of Jesus. In the early days of the church, the number one person who persecuted and hated the church was a guy called Saul. Saul was a, was a religious zealot and he used to go up to people's houses and he'd go, anyone home? Someone had answered the door. Are you a Christian? If they were, they'd say, yep. Paul would grab them by the scruff of the neck, take them out into the street, have them thrown into prison, or he'd arrange for people to get some stones and throw them at that person to kill them. He hated Christians. He hated those that followed Jesus. And uh, one day, Jesus showed up. And Jesus showed up into Saul's life and it changed him. He went from being a murderer to the guy who wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. He went from being a, persecuted, a persecutor of Christians to a preacher. He went from being someone who destroyed the church and did everything he possibly could to, 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 to cause havoc in the church to be one who ended up building up the church and going and sharing Jesus with more and more people and starting churches all over the place. God can do anything with anyone if he chooses to. God can do anything. And, and God did this with Saul's life, who was changed to Paul. He trained leaders and pastors. He wrote letters to churches, including the book of Philippians, and he wrote to the Christians at a place called Philippi. 
Now, in the Bible, I love the fact uh, that in the Bible, there's lots of really cool names. Now, I, w- I watched Sesame Street when I was a kid. Put up, raise your hand if you watch Sesame Street. Excellent, excellent. Good, we've got some Sesame Street fans. Who watched Play School? All right, a few people watched Play School. Some of you didn't watch TV at all, but that's okay. But here's the thing. Epaphroditus was a guy that Paul wrote about, and he's got a name like Snuffleupagus on, uh, on Play School. Anyway, Epaphroditus, he was a man who risked his life for the cause of Christ. So in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, here's what Paul writes as he writes a letter to the church at Philippi. He says, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. And he gives Epaphroditus three titles. He is my brother, he is my co-worker, and he is a fellow soldier. But he's also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. When Paul wrote this, he was in a prison. He was in a prison because of his faith in Jesus. You know the guy that put people into prison? He's now in prison. And the church at Philippi, which is a church where, that Paul planted, a church that Paul started, they loved Paul and they sent him a financial gift. And the way they did it was through Epaphroditus. And he was the guy that carried the money all the way to Paul at the prison, at, in prison. And Paul describes this guy in three ways. And these three ways actually help us understand the three aspects of church that we're going to get into right now. Let's have a look at this little table. We're not going to spend much time on this, except to say this. Jesus says, I'll build my church. And there are three aspects of the church in the life of Epaphroditus. One is community. One is the corporation aspects of the church. And the other is the cause. And the focus of community is people. And the role that's needed in order to look after people is pastor. And the goal is people need to be fed well. There's a co-worker aspect of the church, and that's the corporate aspects. We'll look at that soon. There's some practicalities that need to be focused on. And the role in, of, the, of the leadership needs to be about managing so that the church will function well. So the goal is we want the church to be fed well. The goal is Jesus wants his church to function well. But not only that, Jesus wants his church to be led well. And that's the soldier aspect where there's a cause to belong to and there's a purpose for life and leadership. So let's have a look at the first one. I just want to look at the first one. Why did Jesus promise to build his church? The first reason is purpose. Purpose. I believe that the church is the greatest cause to live for. Jesus is the greatest person to live for and the greatest cause to live for is the church. You know, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He, he loves you that much that he would die for you. But before he died, when he invited people to be in relationship with him, he simply said to people two words. Those words were, follow me. And Jesus comes along to you today and to you today and to you today and to people and he says, follow me. Follow me. And then he does a promise. He gives a promise. And then he says, follow me and I will make you catch people or fishes of people or fishes of men. But it's the idea of if you follow me, Jesus says, I will help you gather more and more people to follow me. 
Love that promise. Part of following Jesus is being a person that is consistently investing into people and inviting them to follow. Investing into people to invite them to follow Jesus. So Jesus says, come follow me. So the greatest person to live for today is Jesus. And the greatest cause to belong to and, and to, to live for is the Christian church. I, I, you know, the, the, there are lots of causes in the world. You only need to pick up a local paper or read the news and you see people doing all kinds of things for all kinds of causes. And there are some great causes in the world. But there is one cause that doesn't get a lot of attention in the newspaper or on TV, unless, of course, it's to bag it or to give it negative attention. But here's the thing. The Christian church is the greatest cause to live for. Jesus said this at the end of Matthew 28. When he got his disciples together, he'd, he'd already died. He'd given his life on the cross and he'd risen again and he's going back to the Father. And he says this to his disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Make people followers of me. By, how do you do that? By baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you to do and surely I'll be with you always till the very end of the age. I love that. There's another promise of Jesus. I will be with you till the end of the age. Another promise of Jesus there. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the Lord. He, he's God in the flesh. He's the guy to listen to. He's the guy who loves us. But he's the guy to lead us. And so Jesus says these words to his disciples. One of the things that I love about this church, about our church, is our vision. Do you know what our vision is? Our vision is creating communities that engage the disengaged with Jesus. Do you know what I love about that? It's intentional. It's not navel-gazing. It's focused on people that don't yet engage with Jesus. I love that. And that's what we're about, Northside. We are about creating communities that engage the disengaged with Jesus. And if ever you've wondered what the purpose of your life is, have a read. We're not going to read it now, but have a read of Ephesians chapter 3 and you'll see some of the purpose of your life. Purpose. A second thing is the promise. Why does Jesus promise to build his church? Because every one of us needs a spiritual community to belong to. Every one of us needs a spiritual community to belong to. The church is about people. It's about a purpose and it's about people. Now, on a Saturday morning, one of the things I love to do is have bacon and eggs for breakfast. It's a Saturday morning treat. And uh, when, I, when I cook the bacon and the mushrooms on the, on the, in the fry pan, I always use a Teflon-coated fry pan. And the reason for that, one of the reasons I love Teflon and love the guy who ever created it is because when you put the food on the Teflon fry pan, it doesn't stick. It cooks, but you can get it off easy and it doesn't stick. 
And the church is to be not like Teflon. We don't want people to come and to connect with each other and just bounce off and slide off or slide away. That's Teflon church. We don't want that. And it's not the kind of church Jesus intended or wants the church to be. But rather, the rumor of the guy who made Velcro, what does Velcro do? Velcro is amazing. With Velcro, you know, I've got, I've got Velcro around my laptop computer cord because every time I wrap up, you know, pull, pull out the cord and I want to go somewhere else and use power rather than just the battery, it's got a little Velcro thing and you wrap it around. And the Velcro helps stuff stick. And Jesus wants his church to be a Velcro church, a, a, a Velcro type church where people come and they connect and they stick together and they work together and, and do life together. Many years ago when I was a young adult, long time ago, my youth pastor and I, we taught scripture or religious instruction to some grade 12s uh, in the local high school. And I've taught scripture or religious instruction to grade 7s um, and, and grade 12s and other year levels for about 10 years now. And one of the things that we would do, and he taught me to do this, is, um, is give all the students a piece of newspaper. Now, we know that newspaper has been used for all kinds of purposes throughout history. It's used for um, cleaning windows at Church Working Bees at Taramara this Saturday. Uh, it's used for, um, you're coming? Has that been announced yet? It has. Awesome. Okay, so we've got lots of newspaper to be used next Saturday, all right? Okay, but the newspaper's been used for all kinds of purposes. So we give each of the students a piece of newspaper and we ask them a question. We want you to do with this piece of paper what you would like to do to the Christian church. Grade 12s, public high school. So we gave, them, gave it to them. And so the students would do different things. Let me just share three or four of those. One student, uh, and then they had to explain why. One student got his bit of paper and put it on the ground. And then, oh, I'm not very good at this, but let's see what I can do. He got it, so it pointed up as high as it could, but he did all he could to make sure it still spread out. And we asked, why did you do that? And he said, well, look, the reason I got it pointing up is because I believe the church needs to be more focused on God and the reason I tried to spread it out is because it needs to embrace as many people as it can to focus on God. Great answer. Another student got his piece of paper and um, I'm not sure on who's cleaning church today, but anyway, sorry about this. But he went like this. With the paper, you know, all across the room, tore it up like this. So we asked, why did you tear up the piece of paper? Why did He says, well, look, the reason that I tore up the paper and, and did it in, in such a dramatic way was because I want people to get, the church needs to get people's attention. And the reason that I tore it up into all those pieces to put it everywhere is because the church needs to spread out and do a whole heap of good in the community, although cleaning up was probably not such a good thing. Well, it's got to be done, but anyway. The next thing, one, the la one student did this, got the piece of paper, scrunched it up like this, 
And see how we go. Oh, just missed. But kicked it. Kicked it across, across the classroom. Why did you do that with the piece of paper? It says, I believe the church needs to be closer together. They need to get together and stick together. And the reason I kicked it across the classroom is because every now and then the church just needs a good kick in the pants. Every one of those students was spot on, weren't they? Every one of them was spot on. And you know, the reason that this guy, Saul, who became Paul, wrote so many letters to churches in the New Testament that make, that make up our New Testament, the reason that he wrote so many letters is because guess what he did just about in every letter? He said, church... You're doing this really, really well. I've got some real concerns about these issues. And here's what you need to do to get it right and get back on track. And I believe that if Paul wrote that to every, you know, to all the letters that he wrote to the churches back then, I wonder what Paul would write to Northside Church. What are we doing really well in? What do we need? What are the concerns? What are the things we need to sort out? And then what are the things that he would recommend in order for us to be a better church community? You know, in Romans chapter 12, Paul speaks of the three C's of Jesus' church. We're just going to cover these real brief. In Romans 12 verse 3, he says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has given you. See, the cause of the church is God's grace to each and every one of us and that our response to his grace is faith in Jesus. But there's a real call there from Paul to be people who are humble. To not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. To not think we're doing better than we really, really are. To be honest with ourselves about how we're really tracking. The next part is Romans 12 verse 4 and 5. He says, just as each of us has one body with many members... And these members do not have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. Turn to the person beside you and say, we belong to one another. We do. We actually belong to each other. We are part of his local body here and we belong to each other. Then I love this, that's the community aspect. And when it comes to community, one of the things that we need to be aware of is that our relationships, you know, you know Lego. Lego is, um, you know, this, this particular Lego block has eight little pins. And in order for this Lego um, to do what Lego does, you put another bit of Lego on top. 
And each of these pins in the, could represent you. This piece of Lego block could represent you. And each of those pins could represent your key relationships or your relationships. And one of the things we need to recognise is that some of us have our Lego block absolutely full. Right? It's full. We've, we've got our relationship tank full. But there are others of us who are like this piece of Lego and we don't have anyone at all on our Lego block. And it might be like that. And the fact of the matter is we all need to have a full tank of relationship. Got it? Each of us is like a Lego block. Each of these pins represents our relationships. And one of the things we need to recognise is this, that there are people in here and there are people in our community that need to have their Lego block full, relationally. And one of the, one of the tasks and one of the, one of the challenges, I believe, for the Christian church is that the longer you're in the church, the more your relationship tanks get full and the less open we can be to those who are newer, who may need and who are coming looking for relationships. So I want to ask you the question, and this is what some people have done in the past, is this. They've actually said to some of their friends who they will always be friends with, even if they don't see each other for the next three years, they'll always be friends. They say, well, you know what? We may just not hang out as much together for a little while because there are people in my world that are coming into my world who need relationship and need to be part of our church community in small groups, community groups or whatever, and, and I, need, I need them to be on my Lego block. Do you get it? It's, it's, and what, what's this about? This is about just making sure that we're doing all we can to be someone who builds community and doesn't stay as a... What happens when these go like this? Oh, it didn't work. Click. We don't want to be a church of clicks, do we? But we want people to connect on with our Lego block. So, there we go. Um, by the way, I'm having a great time being a pastor in the team here. It's a great church, great team, great people, having fun. But the next bit I want to read to you is Romans 12. Let's get into this. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy according to your faith. If it's serving, serve. If it's teaching, teach. If it's to encourage, then encourage. If it's giving, give generously. If it's to lead, govern diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. In other words, what Paul's saying here is, Sadell is gifted. What's your name? Anne and you, Anne, Brian. Brian. Anne, you are gifted. Brian, you are gifted. Leo, you have a gift. What's your name up there? I'm looking right at you. What's your name? Yeah, yeah. Ben. Ben, God has given you gifts and he wants you to use those gifts to build up the church. And I could say that to each and every one of you. Every one of us is gifted and whatever God's gifts that he's given you, use it. 
to build up the body of Christ. That's what this is about. Use it to build community. Let's have a look at this last one. Why did Jesus promise to build his church? And we'll wrap it up. There are practicalities uh, in the church. The church has corporation responsibilities. Now, some of you are going to be just, some of you are going to just tune out right now. You've seen the slide and you've switched off right now. I want to encourage you, don't switch off. This is one of the most important aspects of this message today. It might not be inspirational, but it's truthful. Philip Yancey writes this, The church, like the platypus, is a whole made up of contradictory parts. A healthy church combines forces normally found in polar opposition. We must strive to be efficient and yet compassionate, unified and yet diverse, structured and yet flexible. We must live like a platypus in a world of mammals, reptiles and fowl. I've been a pastor now just on 24 years and in the last 20 years of that being a pastor, there has been exponential increase in the amount of government requirements, legislation and requirements and all kinds of things that churches must adhere to, have to. Um, one One of those aspects of this is that Whether we realise it or not, but just like a board of directors for a company, our board of elders are responsible for the church functioning well in these areas. There are corporate-like practicalities and corporate-type practicalities that come under the leadership of the church. Things like vision, policies, reporting to governing authorities and all kinds of procedures. Let's have a look at what Romans 13 says. Paul writes, and this is in a day when the the government of the day was very opposed to the church. Paul writes this. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that that exist have been established by who? Yep. The authorities that exist have been established by who? God. We need to recognise that. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay them. If revenue, pay your bills. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that God has got people in positions of authority because he has placed them there and that our role is to submit to those in authority because they are God's servants and we have a part to play. In a Northside church, each and every one of you, one of the, one of the joys of my last uh, six or seven weeks, my first six or seven weeks with you, has been just getting to know people one-on-one over a cuppa, over a meal, having chats and hearing people share their story and hearing God's grace in their life. And we have an amazing team of people that serve and work in the church on a paid basis. Our conference team, the amazing work that they do and the number of people that come through uh, this facility and the way that people are uh, are served with excellence and honoured in that. It's just fantastic. Uh, I love the work of the ministry team and the pulling together of services and the community groups and all the work that goes in. And there's so many things we could talk about that is going really, really well and the amazing work that's being done. 
part of my role at the church is to be three days a week at Taramara as the campus pastor and to help in, in over both campuses in some executive support and operational roles that we need to improve in in the life of Northside Church. And I love serving in it. But what I want to do today, not to put you to sleep, have a look at this screen and see, Just I'm not going to say what they are, these are some of the areas where we have responsibilities for and requirements too. I'm not going to read them out, but we do have in these areas, these are some federal government legislation requirements that we have to, as a church, adhere to. And then we have some state government ones. And then there's some local, local government ones because we sit as a church in two local government authorities and there are laws and bylaws that we need to adhere to and be aware of and abide by and work with council on. And then the next one is for Churches of Christ in New South Wales. There's all kinds of work there that we are involved in. And the last one is just some basic financial and administrative stuff that has to happen. Some of it's on an annual basis, some of it's on a week by week, some of it's on a day by day basis for this church to function and exist and to be what it does, all of this stuff has to happen. And what I wanted to do today is not be like the lady uh, when the guy asks for, can I just have a bottle of milk? And she goes, low fat, and confuse the guy and then look at him and he'll never come back. What I wanted to show you today is just to open up our eyes to see that the church has these three really important aspects to it. The cause, the community, and the corporate responsibilities that we have as a church. I just wanted to open our eyes to the awareness and the amount of work and effort that goes in to helping the church be the best it can be. And I pray that after today, you'll not only be grateful to Jesus, but you'll be grateful for the work of the church and what is happening. Jesus promised he will build his church And he has been building it for 2,000 years and he's going to keep building it. But what does that mean for us? How do we respond? What do we do with it? Well, just I, I believe there are just four things. Let's just show those on the screen. Give yourself to Jesus. Jesus gave himself for you. He gave his life for you. He died on a cross for you and for me. He shed his own blood out of love for you and me. And he doesn't demand our life, but the best thing we can do with our life is give our life to him. And the way that that's expressed is we give him our time. We give him the use of our talents, our spiritual gifts and talents. And we we don't just sit on them. We use them. We discover what our gifts are. We find out what they are and we use them to benefit and bless the church. And we give our tithes. Tithing ain't no tax. Tithing is a privilege. It is an absolute privilege to be able to give God a dollar for every $10 we earn. What a privilege that is. He gave everything. (laughs) Just give our total life to Jesus. And in a moment, as we share, we're going to share in communion and the bread and the cup. We haven't done that yet, have we? We're going to do this as a way to remember Jesus 
and his sacrifice for us. And remember each other that as we eat and drink today, we share in this with a community. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to say thank you for your promises. There's so many promises that you made to us, God, and we thank you for your promise to build your church. For without that promise and without you fulfilling that promise, we wouldn't be in this room. We wouldn't be here. Jesus, thank you for your amazing sacrificial love for us. Thank you that in this moment we have the privilege of remembering you in this way, of eating the bread, representing your body that was broken and drinking the cup, representing your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of all of our wrongs, for our sin. Thank you, Jesus, for your church. Help us to always be in partnership with you in building that which will last forever. What a privilege. What an opportunity. What a responsibility. Lord, thank you for this time where we remember you. In Jesus' name, amen. For more info and all the latest Northside news and events, visit northsidechurch.org.au or download our app today.